Welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple II. Whether you're a longtime user, a nostalgic visitor, or a newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous personal computer. Welcome to Open Apple Podcast number 16. Yes, recorded late May 2012, published in early June 2012. We hope. It will happen. You think so? It will. Oh, good. You got to have faith. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, we are using a computer that at its newest is 19 years old. We have nothing if not faith. You may have a point there. I do. Trust me. Yes. Okay. So this is the Open Apple Podcast where we celebrate the invention of Steve Wozniak and, to arguable degrees, Steve Jobs. It is the 6502 machine that we all know is better than the Commodore 64, even if it didn't sell as well. We celebrate with a monthly podcast, an annual convention, a quarterly magazine, and daily discussions on websites and Usenet newsgroups. It always amazes me how much stuff we find to talk about every month. It's amazing, but not only during the show, but between shows, too. Exactly. I recently cut back on my Apple Bits blog. I'm now posting once a week instead of twice, but I'm still never wanting for things to publish that once a week. I think that's good, though. Absolutely. Better to have too much information than not at all. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is go scurrying around the interwebs looking for something to write about. Right. And you're publishing even more often than that on a2central.com. Yeah, um, that's a little bit easier than, than yours. I mean, these are what I'm post- posting on a2central is just uh, short news bits. Um, I'm not, there's no, no perspective there or anything like that. And you had a few posts on your own 6502 lane about the Beagle Bros cleanup? Yeah, I kind of slowed down a little bit posting there. Yeah, I find that happens with almost any blog. You get into a state where you're just publishing and publishing and publishing, and then it dips and you go into silence for months on end, and then you're suddenly back. Well, actually, I, I kind of, in this case, I kind of got fed up with my posts appearing verbatim uh, in, in Asimov without my permission, including photographs, text, the whole thing. So, um, So I'm sort of discouraged about posting that right now. I just put my blinders on. I don't look to see where else my stuff is appearing. Yeah, well, I, and as far as you know, the the Apple II scan stuff, I don't mind. I don't on the copyright, and I'm, it's fine to share that. But I mean, I don't know. I, part of me feels like it's it's stealing my photographs and words. I don't know. All right, when your posts show up elsewhere, are they attributed? Um. Well, um, like for example, the the Apple II C cleanup. Somebody basically took a huge screenshot of the entire post and. Stuck it as a PNG, uh, a 14 megabyte PNG up on uh, Asimov. Now, granted, that's not a very efficient way to get it, but that's not the point. I mean, I suppose one way around this problem would be to just release your stuff under Creative Commons. I can, but I don't want to. I understand that. You know, and you shouldn't have to either. Not if you don't want right. to. I mean, my own Apple Two Bit stuff. It uh, some some of my sites are under Creative Commons. Some are not. You know, like obviously, for example, JuiceGS is a wholly commercial entity. I don't know. I mean, the the internet has made it so much harder to retain control of information. Right, and and rather than doing the Creative Commons thing that you have, I've just kind of stopped posting there as much. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you find other ways to get your retro fix. Well, that's I'm looking forward to Kansas Fest. Cool. Yeah, you'll be there, right? I will be there. Excellent. And you'll be presenting. I'm not sure at this point. Um, the turmoil at my job right now with uh, everything switching over to the Department of Interior from Fish and Wildlife. Uh, my boss has basically at this point said that I can be there Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, for the rest of the week, it's uncertain at this point. So I may have to leave on Wednesday morning. 
But that means you'd miss the keynote. I would, yeah. Uh, so, you ju- so you'd be there just for check-in day? Yeah, but one day is better than no days. That's true. But you know, I think altogether you probably spend more time traveling than you would actually be in there. It's worth it. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Yeah. That and somebody else is riding out there with me, so. Uh, I hope he's good company. I don't know. I heard he can talk a lot. You know, there is this little cafe about halfway across the state of Kansas. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. They have very perky staff there. Perky. That's an interesting word. Yeah, so it's many connotations. I, I see. I'll take your word for it. Yes. What have you done lately? Let's see. Well, I went to RaffleCon, which was a biennial event held at MIT. It is a convention of internet memes and culture. Where people go to raffle? Yes. Oh, they were raffling left and right. I see. This is the third RaffleCon and potentially the last one. Oh, really? Yeah, they feel like they've taken the event as far as they can go, and until they figure out how to evolve it, it's going to go on hiatus. I guess that makes sense. You don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over. And they actually, in my opinion, haven't, because there are always new internet memes. Some last for years, some last for weeks, but every two years, there's certainly enough fresh material that they have something to talk about. True. But it was fun. They had the uh, gentleman from Double Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Uh, They had... You know, David after the dentist. They had hide your wife, hide hide your kids, Antoine Dodson. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite sessions was I went to a presentation by the scriptwriter for the Old Spice commercials with Old Spice Guy. Oh, yes. And it was the presentation just by him. But while he was talking and he had his PowerPoint projecting from his laptop, he got an unexpected Skype call, and he turns to the audience and says, Hey, does anybody want to talk to Isaiah Mustafa? So Old Spice Guy did a video Skype into the presentation. He took Q&A from us for about an hour. Neat. Yeah, one of the questions I asked him, he did a series of commercials this past holiday season called Manta Claus. I think I saw some of those. Yeah, they were pretty funny, as they tend to be. And there was an old computer in one of them. And I asked him, what was that computer? And he didn't really know. He described it, but he didn't have a name for it. Uh, but And then at the end, the very last question he took was, will you reenact your original commercial? And so he took off his shirt and he recited it line for line. Wow. Yes, it was titillating. I also went to a presentation by Jason Scott. It, he gave a presentation on a uh, scam artist within the internet community who is no longer with us and only got caught after his death. Interesting. Jason said this is the only time he's going to give that presentation. He doesn't just recycle material. So that's one of the reasons I went to see it is because I knew I'd never get another chance to see it live. And I was also reminded that it was four years ago at RaffleCon that I first met Jason. I remember even though he lived in Waltham, Massachusetts, not far from me, I'd never met him before. I'd interviewed him online via email for JuiceGS. And I go to his presentation. I get there really early and I'm sitting in the audience and there aren't many people there yet. And he looks at me and he says... Why are you looking at me like you know me? <laughs> I said, hi, Jason. I'm Ken Gagney. He's like, oh, Ken, hi. <laughs> you do know me. Just we'd never met in person is all. I see. So I brought my copy of BBS documentary. He autographed it for me. And then a year later, he was our Kansas Fest keynote speaker. Cool. Yeah. Good times. Now, did they have the uh, the 10-hour meme going on? 10-hour meme? There's this trend, I guess, on YouTube where people post 10-hour mixes. For example, there's the 10 hours of what is love uh, SNL video. It's the SNL video, but it just plays over and over for 10 hours. Oh, kind of like Nancat? Yeah. And and there's uh, there's a whole bunch of them. And I, I'm going to take the 10 hour what is love challenge here in a little while, I think. 
and what actually listen to it for 10 hours yes why would you do that to yourself because i can do you not know what love is after all these years i guess i don't just go rent night at the roxbury <laughs> that would feel like 10 hours yes yes it would but they have you know, the ten hour what is Sparta remix and the ten hour epic sax guy. Um, oh god! The ten hour taking the hobbits to Isengard if you're into uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah. So is there like any sort of a ten hour techno Viking? Is there ten hour Apple II anything? I don't think so. But if if there isn't, there should be. Well, Kansas Fest is kind of like that because nobody sleeps. It's true. Yeah. With the ten hour Rickroll. Oh god. So RolfoCon was fun, and a week later, there was a, another convention nearby, actually uh, actually in Waltham, where Jason Scott used to be from, and that would be the Steampunk Convention, which I would have loved to have gone to, because I, as I've mentioned, have a new DSLR camera, and I would love to get some photos of Steampunk, because I just think it's such a photogenic subject. Do you ever watch The Guild, Felicia Days? She just did a Steampunk photo shoot. Okay. Is that what you were getting at? No, there was uh, this past season on the Guild. They they went to the um, um, Mega Gamer Ramacon, and one of her guild mates gets involved with a, a steampunk group, and it's rather humorous. Oh, I did not know that. No, I yes. am familiar with the Guild, but I don't watch it. Ah, you should. It's funny. Well, maybe I will with all that free time I have. <laughs> there you go. Unfortunately, I was not able to go to steampunk because it was the same day as Mother's Day. Speaking of which, Ken, how's your father's new system working? I remember he just had that new component installed. Oh, that's right. Actually, it's working pretty well. The uh, new part fit fine, and it's working even better than the old one. But there's an unexpected side effect, which is he can no longer empty his trash. That sounds like a system bug. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. And I, it's not like he's doing it wrong. I watched him, and he's doing it the same way he always used to, and it just... It isn't working. So instead, we're running this extra utility uh, twice a week just to clean up his system, and it takes a couple of hours to run. So it's hmm. it's really intensive and really laborious, and we're hoping this isn't a permanent situation. But you know, it does get rid of all the junk that he accumulates just from using the system, as anybody does. And uh, until we can figure out exactly what the problem is, you know, we're hoping that this will just be a temporary situation. Has he tried rebooting? Actually, he reboots once a day. At the end of the day, when he's done with the system, he just tends to shut it down. He doesn't leave it on overnight. And it still comes back every time he powers up in the morning, huh? Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Maybe he should take it to the Geek Squad over at um, Best Buy. Oh, yeah, because they make things better. That's right. Anything else? Yeah, actually, we have been in the news. We have? Yes, Open Apple. The podcast? The name of the podcast was cited by Steve Wozniak himself. Uh, I'm not familiar with this. Yes, The Register, a famous UK publication, ran the headline, uh, Steve Jobs' death could clear way for more open Apple. Oh. And that is a quotation from Steve Wozniak. Yeah, but Woz is reported to have said, I like a lot of the openness I see in Facebook or Google and how things can interplay on the internet. I think that Apple could be just as strong and good and be open, but how can you challenge it when a company is making that much money? That sounds like a good uh, opening line for us to use when we ask him to be on open Apple. As well we should. Yeah. yeah. Because we wouldn't be here if not for him. True. As well as a lot of other people. Yeah. yeah. It would be the open Commodore show or something. <laughs> <laughs> Although then we'd have Jerry Ellsworth on the show. Or we'd have a better chance of getting her anyway. Right. She's like the Felicia Day of the retro computing community. Yep. Mm. The hot nerd girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's not sexist. Not at all. 
I'm not sure how relevant this is to the Apple II community, but I briefly want to mention we are recording this show on the ninth anniversary of the release of version 1.0 of the content management system known as WordPress, your favorite piece of software, Mike. Mm, not so much. WordPress is not an Apple II piece of software, but it is used to power a variety of Apple II websites, including a2central.com, KansasFest, JuiceGS, 6502Lane, Apple II Scans, Apple II Bits, Blue or White, Apple II Info, and many, many more. Uh, it's a pretty versatile blogging and content management system software. And I'm very happy with it. I started using it five years ago at the prompting of Apple II user Peter Watson, who was, along with me, an active member of the Showbits community on Syndicom Online that Sheppy ran. And I've been very happy with it to the point that I am going to WordCamp next month. WordCamp is a regular event being held throughout the world, uh, throughout the year. Wait, so we're celebrating this? I thought we were mourning. What is it that you have against WordPress? Come on. Uh <laughs> It's hard to work with for me. I don't like I don't like the dashboard at all. For things like posting images, which you would think would be a simple process, it's just a nightmare to, to get it to do anything without actually going in and editing the HTML code, which if you're using a front-end tool, that's kind of defeats the purpose, I think. Well, you're, you're not really on the dashboard that much because you use Windows Live Writer, right? I do, but then I have to go into, to, into the dashboard to post pictures and then back into Windows Live Writer to repost them, to get them to center. Because the WYSIWYG editor in the dashboard ignores, it's not WYSIWYG, it, it ignores tags and, and things like that. So You might want to try a different front-end software than Windows Live Writer because there are ones that are turnkey solutions where you can upload your images and format them or lay them out as you want to. I have the same problem with Mars Edit on the Mac, so I don't know. I don't know either. I've never used a WYSIWYG editor. I, I'm always dealing with the code. Well, aren't you Mr. High and Mighty? No, I just, you know, I, I learned HTML from Apple II University on Genie on my Apple II, and we didn't no, have... I was I was teasing you. I know, but this was before the release of Sheppy's WebWorks GS, so I never had a WYSIWYG editor, so I just never really moved up to that level. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess the solution probably is, is simpler that I learn HTML and stop complaining about it. Until that happens, oh. yeah. But anyway, whether or not you like WordPress, you can still go to WordCamp, learn a bit more about it. WordCamp is a two- to three-day convention. They have them everywhere, San Diego, Detroit, Chicago, New York City, Boston. I went to the Boston event two years ago, loved it. Then they moved it to be the same week as Kansas Fest. So as an alternative, I am going down to New York City next month. I'm going to meet up with Ivan Drucker, and we'll head to WordCamp and learn a few things about our content management system because his company, Ivan Expert, uses WordPress as well. This is something I wanted to go to anyway. I was going to have to take time off from work and use my own money. But then I ended up getting assigned to write a feature story for Computer World about WordPress. And now they're sending me on company time and company dime. So it's very convenient for me. But no, I think it's I think it's neat that a tool like that is available and free to use. And, and there are a lot of people who obviously love it very much. And so... And and they continue to improve it and make it better. If there was a Denver WordCamp, would you go? Probably not. You might learn a thing or two. You might. You might learn to stop worrying and love the WordPress. Ooh, no. <laughs> well, enough about Ruffles and WordPresses. Why don't we get into the Apple II? Great. Hi, this is Ivan Drucker on the Open Apple Podcast. And if you haven't come to Kansas Fest, you should. Well, it's been a long time coming, and we have finally gotten to join us on the Open Apple Show, our dear friend Martin Hay. Hello, Martin. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm doing really well. Excellent. Now, Martin, how far do we go back? We met at K-Fest, what, 09? I believe it was 09. Almost three years. 
Wow. True. In Apple II eras, that's like three years ago. <laughs> so what prompted you to finally get off your duff and join us at Kansas Fest? I had I had bought myself an Apple II Plus. I was having an immense amount of fun playing with it. I was encouraged by my husband to see if anybody else was doing this. And, of course, the second I went out and looked, I realized, my God, there's a convention that people like me go to. And what are these people like? And I was terribly worried at the time about those people, but... As you should have been. <laughs> so it, it actually took me a year of, of stewing and cogitating before I, I was brave enough to sign up for Cavefest. So how long ago did you, did you buy your 2 Plus? I think it was 2008. And you've never, you've never had any experience with 8-bit Apple IIs before that? Oh, no, 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 no. I started, I got a 2 Plus back in um, 1982. Ah, okay. Um, played with it. Basically, before that point, I had been an eight hours a day TV watcher. I would watch anything that came on. And after that point, the TV never got used, and I was eight hours a day playing video games and then trying to write them. <laughs> so computers took over my life. And is your is your husband okay with your your current um, obsession? <laughs> yeah, he actually encourages me. He says, you know, anything that gives you joy, just do it, and don't even worry about if it has any value to society. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. Ouch. <laughs> so you got your Apple II in the early '80s, but you came to KFAS in 2009. Where were you for those intervening 25 years? What were you doing with your Apple II? Well, uh, I learned I learned to program in, in basic and assembly language on that original 2+. I got a 2E and, you know, did all my schoolwork on it um, in, in middle school and high school. Got a 2GS late in high school, used that, you know, through the middle of college. And then Apple killed the Apple II, and I was extremely upset. And I switched over to the PC world. After that, I got a, a degree in computer science at Berkeley and learned the joys of Unix and really came to love Unix. And so when Apple put Unix back or into the Macintosh, uh, Apple got me back as a customer. And now I'm a pretty loyal Apple customer. I've got two Macs and two iPads and a couple iPhones. <laughs> And in addition to several Apple IIs, unfortunately, none of the ones I originally owned, but still. What happened to that original Apple II? My original Apple II went to a preacher who used it to write his sermons in the tiny little town that I grew grew up part of my life in. And then I, I lost track of it from there. My dad uh, kept my Apple II GS. Actually, I take it back. I do have my original Apple II GS signed by Waz, but that's the only original Apple II I have. Nice. Now, Martin, before we even met at Kansas Fest, you were already writing for me under the auspices of JuiceGS. This is actually true. I wrote uh, an article about Integer Basic for JuiceGS, which is part of what made me brave enough to come to Kansas Fest. I, I felt I could, I could at least talk about something. Well, I think you've probably had a certain confidence in your abilities to be able to pitch a publication from an unknown author. Yeah, God only knows what got into me. <laughs> or into me. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun article to write. And so you pitched that article, you printed it, you came to Kansas Fest, and you have continued to make a name for yourself in the Apple II community since then with a variety of other credits. Well, I, I took the advice early on of, of trying to come to Kansas Fest with something to show. Um, and since I'm a programmer, um, 
both as a hobby and as a profession, what I have to show is going to be computer programs. And which programs are those? Was it the first Kansas Fest? I think I showed up with Supermon, um, at least an early version of, of Supermon, which is kind of a set of fancy extensions for the system monitor on the on the 2 Plus. And then at the following Kansas Fest, I had not only Supermon, but Nakedos to show off there. The following year, last year, I brought um, P2E, which is a an emulator that runs uh, completely in JavaScript, so it's kind of runs in any old browser you happen to have. And what's the status of P2E? I haven't heard much about it since KFest 2011. The status of P2E is that it wasn't that much fun to work on. Um, <laughs> because I wasn't actually programming in Apple II, I was writing a program to, to emulate an Apple II, and, and I discovered that that wasn't as much fun as playing with the Apple II itself. And I asked people at KFest during my presentation, I said, I've got a choice. I could work on Supermon in the next year, or I could work on P2E. And I let I put it to a vote, and the vote came out exactly split. And so basically, I interpreted that as, as a mandate to work on whatever the heck I felt like. As well, you should. <laughs> well, it is a hobby. That's true. So working on what you feel like is probably the wisest choice in the end. All right. It shouldn't feel like work if it's a hobby. Exactly. Exactly. So... P2E is is out there. The code is open source, like all of the things I've written. Um, code is on uh, Bitbucket, which is a kind of a source code sharing repository. And so anybody can download it and fix it up, make it better. In the meantime, this year, I've been really obsessed with working some more on Supermon. I added in a whole new programming language. <laughs> well, just to back up for a second, for our listeners who aren't programmers, what is Supermon? So Supermon is an extension of the, the original system monitor that comes with all Apple IIs um, and even with the Apple I. So the system monitor let you modify memory at a very low level, write machine language programs, again, at a very low level. It was, it was difficult to write a large machine language program using the monitor. With Supermon, I tried to make, I tried to make it easier to write large programs in assembly language on the Apple II, while still retaining the the system monitor and also AppleSoft and Integer Basic have a very interactive feel. You kind of you type in a line and it instantly becomes part of your program. And you type run and instantly your program does something. It probably crashes, but you get you know this this kind of instant feedback loop that makes it fun. It makes it, it fun to program. It's like playing a game. Will my program work this time, or will it not work? Um, and you change something, and you try it again. Whereas all of the languages I worked with you know, while I was in college, and most of the other languages for the Apple II are all compiled, so you add a line, and then you wait while it compiles, and then you see if it will work. It's not at all the same kind of exciting interaction for me anyway. So Supermon adds all kinds of capabilities to the system monitor. A big one is the ability to attach a label, a, you know, a human-readable label like cursor position to a memory location. And so that makes it a lot easier to both to read programs, because you can see, oh, he's changing the cursor location here, rather than he's changing location 36. You know, it's it's a... It makes programs easier to read and also makes them easier to write. 
And I had a bunch of other stuff. You can move things around easily in memory, relocate programs, insert and delete lines, things like that. And what is the new language that you've added to Supermon? The new language is called short. Tell me more about that. I have to digress a little bit. My goal, ever since I got that very two, first Apple II Plus in 1982, has been to write a computer game. And I have started and abandoned several in that period. But now that I'm a professional programmer, I'm, I think I have the skills to actually maybe finish one. So Superman, Naked DOS, and now Short are steps along what I hope will be a path to actually finishing a computer game someday. The, the role that Short fulfills is that of a kind of high-level language, like BASIC. A, a computer game requires that you write not just the game, but lots of supporting code. You know, you need a level editor. You need to write an, an editor for the graphics. You need something to record and play back sound and stitch sounds together. You need all kinds of, of utilities. You need menus and things like that. And it sure is a pain to write all of those things in 6502 assembly code. Assembly is great for speed. It's not so great for ease of writing. Short kind of fills the function of basic in that it allows you to write in a few lines something that would take dozens of lines in assembly. I didn't use basic because I find AppleSoft very limiting. In particular, it's difficult, though, as, as Ivan showed in his structured AppleSoft series in JuiceJS. Not, it's not impossible to write structured programs in AppleSoft, but it is, it's hard. It's, it's unnatural uh, for AppleSoft. And the other thing that really bugs me about AppleSoft is that variables can only be two characters. So it's very, it's hard to read those programs without a lot of interstitial comments. So short fills that role. It it has the same interactive feel as Supermon, and in fact is totally integrated with Supermon, so it, it uses the same commands to move things around in memory or to insert and delete. But it allows you to create functions with names and then call those functions with parameters like a higher level language. And those names can be up to nine characters instead of only two. The other thing it does is it you know it's very compact in memory. I, I tried to keep it true to its name. Programs written in short are typically, in terms of their storage size, shorter than the equivalent AppleSoft or assembly language program. The interpreter itself, with all of its um, utility functions that it provides, is only 1K. It kind of fits in with the philosophy of NakedOS in, in trying to leave as absolutely much memory as possible for storing graphics and sound for the game as I can. Is this a language of your own invention? This is a language of my own invention, but it's certainly not the first. Now, this project that you're working on with many of your others seem more focused on the 8-bit Apple II user. Even though you mentioned you still have your original 2GS, I don't see you doing much work in the 16-bit era. Is that because you prefer the 8-bit platform? Let's describe it as uh, this is a phase I'm going through. <laughs> you're just experimenting. <laughs> you actually didn't get to see my 16-bit phase, which lasted several years, but didn't overlap with my sharing my code with anyone else in the world. I got back into my 2GS about 10 years ago and was absolutely obsessed with writing a Java compiler um, and virtual machine for it, which I did actually do and I did actually finish, but uh, never shared with anyone. At this point, I probably won't because I got that Apple II Plus and just 
you know, I got totally diverted from the 16-bit world into the into the 8-bit world, and I've really been enjoying it. I think I'll probably come back to the 16-bit world eventually because the 2GS is a fun machine, and it's got all kinds of radical capabilities that I barely touched. Currently, I'm in an 8-bit phase. Now, one more question. You showed up to your very first Kansas Fest in the same car as Ivan Drucker, and the two of you being 8-bit programmers primarily, you just sort of seem like perfect complements to each other. Are you two like peas in a pod? We are like peas in a pod. Uh, Ivan and I could just, we could just sit in a room and talk for hours about pretty much anything 8-bit Apple II, pretty much anything Apple II at all. Well, and it was a good thing that you were roommates at Kansas Fest. We weren't actually roommates, but we spent so much time together (laughs) that that everyone thought we were. We had (laughs) both gotten individual rooms. It was kind of a waste because the only thing we did in those rooms was sleep. All of our waking hours were pretty much spent hacking together at that Kansas Fest. It was a, a lot of fun. Nice. And you eventually did upgrade to roommates, right? We'll see if Ivan agrees. We talked last year and we said, you know, we should just... We should just break down and, and be roommates. And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. So I signed up for to share a room this year. And if Ivan is my roommate, that'll be awesome. And if somebody else is my roommate, I'm perfectly happy. Well, you need to have a HackFest coach. How else are you going to win again? <laughs> I, I do hope to win HackFest again someday. It may not be this year. At this year's Kansas Fest, I'm, I'm going to try and focus paying attention to what everybody else is doing. I'm, I'm hoping to cover the the event for JuiceGS, and and to do that, I better not be spending all of my waking hours programming. Sounds like a plan. Just so long as the one thing you're not focusing on is sleeping. That doesn't happen at K-Fest. I, I, I plan to not get very much sleep. Yeah, they'll throw you out if they catch you sleeping. <laughs> get what's new and exciting in retro computing with two news. The Vintage Computer Festival East 8.0 took place May 5th and 6th as planned at the InfoAge Science Center on Wall, New Jersey. And I wasn't able to make it out there. Ken, did you make it this year? I don't remember. You know, I am on the right coast to attend that event, but I attended last year and I thought this year I'd do something different. This year was the RaffleCon that I was speaking about earlier, and it was also my annual Cinco de Mayo party, so no, I didn't make it. Ah, well, you're in luck and so am I because a lot of pictures have been posted this year um, from several different attendees. And it looks like uh, I know that the VCF usually has a reputation for being uh, partial to big iron and mainframes and uh, mini computers and things like that. But it looks like there was a, a nice showing of the microcomputers. There were some good Commodore setups here. And, of course, um, uh, Mike Willegal is there and he set up a nice Apple II spread. Uh, and it looks like he had an Apple, an actual Apple one there as well. Um, there are pictures of what appears to be a genuine machine in a plexiglass case that people could, could take a look at. So it looks like a good time was had by all. When I went to VCF, I did notice more and more quote unquote newer computers. I guess that maybe as the event is getting older and the attendees are getting older, so are the showcased computers moving up in the ages as well. It was strange, though, that a lot of the Apple II users I saw there last year were people I'd never met before and haven't really heard from since. There were some people doing some really amazing things with sound cards, and I haven't seen them make any sort of announcement on CSA2 about their work. Really? New sound cards for the Apple II? 
I don't know if it was a sound card per se, but it was definitely work in the sound realm. I should try to find that person to follow up with him. I didn't do any VCF article for JuiceGS, but his work in particular would probably be a good thing to spotlight. Totally. And JuiceGS is a gateway drug for Kansas Fest. That's right. And Martin, you've never been to, I presume you haven't been to VCF East since you live like 3,000 miles away, but what about any, any other VCF? I haven't been to a VCF. I have a feeling that I would really have a lot of fun, though. Um, so I, I'm, I've been keeping my eye uh, out for VCF Wests that happen to sync with my schedule, and I, I will go to one. I haven't heard much coverage from this year's VCF. I thought Carrington on RCR was going to go. I didn't hear anything mentioned about it on their latest show. I emailed them to ask what was up with that. Maybe they'll have responded on the air by the time this episode airs. I know last year Ivan Drucker went the day after I went, so I didn't see him. Jim O'Reilly was there. Uh, Mike Willegal, not Vince Briel. Uh, easy to confuse those Apple One guys. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't heard about anybody I know going there. Probably Jim did, but he doesn't tend to pipe up much. Except, well, he doesn't tend to pipe up online much. Yeah, we'll, we'll hear about it at Kansas Fest, I'm sure. I saw Vince Briel mentioned recently in a context that was a little bit out of his normal realm, and I'm trying to remember what... It was Maker Faire. He had, he had Apple One stuff set up at the Maker Faire, in, in addition to his non-Apple One uh, hardware products. And I would have actually loved to have gone. It's right next to me. So it's in the San Francisco area? Yep. I think Jerry Ellsworth was there this year, too. Oh, that's right. I saw a picture of her with a, what was it, a Commodore 64 guitar? Yeah. Yeah, which I, I think is a, a continuation of somebody has made a, a guitar hero for the Commodore 64 uh, with an actual you know, toy guitar that you can use like the game consoles of today. What a great idea for an Apple II product. A guitar hero for the Apple II? Absolutely. It'd be so easy. Well, Jeff Blakeney tried to hack it at Hackfest one year. Oh, maybe I'll have to try it. And then there's the advertisement for the ALF music card starring Bill Fickus. This was a magazine advertisement that ran back in the 80s, and it shows him with an Apple II shaped like a guitar. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Was it really an Apple II? I, I think it was, like, cored out, though. It wasn't a working Apple II. Or maybe it was even Photoshopped. Uh, let's see. Actually, Bill commented on my blog about that a couple years ago. He says, sadly, the guitar pull was just a mock-up for the ad. We bought an electric guitar from a pawn shop and pulled off everything but the body. The apple itself was unharmed except for cutting holes in the case to mount the guitar parts. I put on my tightest jeans, my poofiest shirt, and mirrored shades that belonged to one of the bosses. The guitar strap was from my own personal acoustic guitar. I got to stand under photographer's lights waving that thing around and screaming while pics were taken. <laughs> hey, I just realized the perfect person to port Guitar Hero to the Apple II. Oh no, who? Michael Mann. Of course. Of course, like he's already doing drums and music, and they're all synchronized. All we need is the is a, is some display logic, and it's done. So that would be DMS Hero. There you go. Well, I believe he might be a listener to this show, so hopefully he'll get right on that. And hopefully he'll attend Kansas Fest, and we can just hack it together. Yeah, he's been there before. I don't know what's keeping him away, other than you know family reunions and birthdays and the like. Yeah, I would. I he came to one of the Kansas fests I'd been to, and uh, his his presence was just kind of overwhelming to me because I, I basically <laughs> worship him. <laughs> wow! But he is a super nice guy, and so I wasn't overwhelmed for very long. And then I just started talking his ear off, <laughs> and that's why he hasn't been back. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I didn't go to VCF, but I will be attending another retro party. That being a demo party. 
being held June 15th through the 17th in Boston, Massachusetts. This is called At Party. That's the at symbol. So it's six characters, At Party. And this is a demo party that was founded in 2010. I attended that year. Didn't go last year. I'll be there this year, actually, as not an attendee, but a speaker. I'll be there on Saturday at 1 o'clock, speaking for a half an hour on a session called The Apple II Lives, Kansas Fest and Beyond. As just talking about everything that the Apple II community is doing since the, our machine was discontinued 19 years ago. That sounds good, Ken. I, I was surprised to hear that you were going to a demo party. As my impression was, you didn't get that much out of the first one. Well, I found the f- the target audience for the first demo party was primarily programmers. And I'm not much, even though I've entered HackFest in the past, I don't presently consider myself to be a programmer. Crew was there. You know Crew from Kansas Fest. Yeah, Daniel Krucha? Sure. I, I never know how to pronounce his name. Maybe it's French, like Jordan McNay. I don't think so. Okay. Well, he pointed out to me that there are several competitions that don't involve any programming. There's the freestyle music, 8-bit music, freestyle graphics, interactive fiction, overhead projector, and old-school graphics like ASCII art and ANSI art. So there's oh, a lot cool. there for non-programmers, but primarily I'm going to be going for the opportunity to speak. Val Grimm is the coordinator of the event, and she's very open to collaborating with other aspects of the community. Well, I think that's great, and and... It's even greater that you get a, a a venue to push the Apple II. Yeah. And actually, looking at the schedule, I might stick around a little bit because at 4.30, there's a presentation all about the programming language in Form 7 being offered by Zarf. That's one thing about demo parties. A lot of people go by handles or nicknames. Zarf, I know to be Andrew Plotkin, an interactive fiction developer whose project I funded on Kickstarter a couple years ago. He does some great work. He's local to the Boston area. I know Carrington is giving a presentation on Inform 7 at Kansas Fest, but maybe if I learn something about it beforehand, then I'll know enough that I can just sit in Carrington's audience and heckle him. I'm pretty sure I've played one of Andrew Plotkin's games, but I'm reminding myself which one it is. It might have been Dreamhold. That's one of his most entry-level interactive fiction games, and it just came out for iOS. It's a free download. Oh, really? Indeed. Links will be in the show notes. It's hard to get excited about that because I run um, that Zork interpreter for iOS. So Frots? You can download almost all. Yeah, Frots. You can download so many of these games, and they're a lot of fun to play. Yes, but Dreamhold, this version was designed natively to be an iOS app. Oh, really? Ooh, yes. That's very cool. Yes. So there is an auto-mapping feature. There is a page where you can take notes. You just swipe left and right to get between the various screens. Wait, is this a current game? I can get it? It's out right now. Awesome. <laughs> We're not going to be teasing our guests and listeners with games they can't play. Well, sometimes you tease them with things they can play in six, six months. Never. <laughs> we don't do vaporware here. Uh, except for all of the Kickstarter things. Ah, but there actually are quite a few Kickstarters that have uh, proven successful recently. This is good. And you will be able to play them in six months. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd say that. Yeah, uh, We talked about Leisure Suit Larry last month, and that succeeded. They were asking for half a mil. They got 655K, so that will be coming out. That is a remake of the original Leisure Suit Larry, and they have an estimated delivery date of August. That's only three months, ha. Huh? Now, I would distinguish between succeeded in raising... In, in finishing their Kickstarter and raising the funds they need and succeeding in shipping a piece of software. As a software professional... Uh, that latter part can be quite uh, quite a problem. 
Yes, I just did an article all about crowdfunding for computerworld.com. And in my research, I came across a game that was funded on Kickstarter. And the developers didn't, even though they raised more than they asked for, they got less than they expected. And they spent it on things that cost more than they expected. And in the end, they only had like $2,000 to spend on actual game development out of the $32,000 they thought they were going to get. Owie. Yeah, so it was kind of bad planning on their part, some unexpected expenses and the like. But yeah, actually getting the game shipped, as Kurt Schilling is currently finding out, can be very different from your expectations. That said, I think part of the fun of Kickstarter for me is... You know, I, I know that it's a gamble, that some of these things aren't going to pan out, but I really want to encourage them because they're really cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I if I don't always get something that I invested 50 or 100 bucks for, eh, it's no huge loss. Yeah, lately I've taken to throwing 5 to 10 bucks at projects that I don't want anything from them because there's really no application in my life, but they're just such great ideas that on their merit alone they deserve to be funded. Exactly. And sometimes I just go to the sink and throw $20 bills down the disposal. (laughs) It's kind of like how I save myself a trip to the casino by just mailing them my money. Right, exactly. By the way, Leisure Suit Larry is set in Las Vegas. There you Wow. It all comes full circle. Segway. Wait, Segway? Segway to what? They have Segway tours (laughs) in Las Vegas. There you go. Okay. Nicely done, sir. Well played. But one nice thing about Leisure Suit Larry and other projects like that on Kickstarter is they're coming from people with reputations. Like Jason Scott said, Kickstarter should be your last stop, not your first, in getting known by the public. Right. And people like Al Lowe, we know who he is. He's been doing this long enough. Speaking of which, I finally started using my iPad for the purpose for which I originally intended it, that being basically an e-reader. I've been catching up on PDFs of articles I've been saving off the web for the past year. Finally read an interview with Al Lowe from April of 2011 where he talked about how humor has disappeared from games because games have gotten so easy to run that people aren't used to the puzzle just of installing the software. And also he talked about how he had no intention of coming out of retirement. And here he is a year later running a Kickstarter to fund a new Leisure Suit Larry. I love it. Yeah, it was fun to read that article in such a different environment from which it was originally published. But his point about humor in video games is is correct. Uh, For instance, you know, I was a big fan of Halo when it came out because it had so much humor in it. And the amount of humor actually in Halo is, you know, maybe 30 seconds of the entire game. And I thought, wow, this has so much humor. So he's right. Older games used to have a lot more. Wait, I've never played Halo, believe it or not. It has humor? It does. There are a few little uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, very dry humor lines. And if you're paying attention to the characters, you're like, oh, that was really funny. Um, But, of course, nothing like games like Leisure Suit Larry that were all about humor or, you know, the Douglas Adams interactive fiction pieces that were all about making you laugh. Well, I think humor is hard to write just in general. I mean, anybody can write a, a plot for a video game, but to make it funny, is that's a lot of work. Yeah, and when you're doing it with a team of 200 people, including, you know, 50 graphic designers, you know, it, it starts to get harder and harder for a, a single person's humor vision to get in there at all. We need to get Carrington writing video games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, there are exceptions. I mean, we talked about this last month, but uh, Portal... Uh, it was very funny throughout the entire game. Mm-hmm. 
It was. I just saw a political ad on Facebook. It was a poster with the slogan, Cave Johnson, when life gives you lemons, burn life's house down. <laughs> Excellent. I'm all for it. Yeah, I love the Portal script. And in fact, one of the games I'm considering writing is just porting Portal. <laughs> We've talked about that. We interviewed Kelvin Sherlock about it, and I think we talked to Chris Lackey about it last year as well. Yeah, the problem with porting Portal is a lot of other people are doing it too. Not for the Apple II. You never know. They could be out there right now. Ooh. Now, Martin, you said that Halo doesn't have much humor compared to older games. You have to be familiar with Red versus Blue, right? Right, but that isn't actually Halo. It's Halo fans. Right, but I just want to make sure that you're aware of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, because <laughs> I have all nine seasons on DVD. It's fantastic. <laughs> Maybe that's excessive. No, excessive is sitting by your computer waiting for every new episode to come out every week or two and watching it right away. Which you've never done. No, I haven't. I wait until they're all out, and then I consume them all in one two-hour chunk around Christmas time. Okay, I can res- I-, I can respect binging on Red versus Blue. Well, thank you. A couple of other Kickstarter projects that are worth mentioning to retro computing fans, that being a new Space Quest, although you won't see it by that name. It's called Space Venture. They don't have the rights to the original name, but it is the original creators, those being... Scott Murphy and Mark Crow, the two guys from Andromeda. They are currently running a Kickstarter asking for your standard half a million dollars, which seems to be how much you need to get any retro franchise revitalized nowadays. They currently have about half that, and at the time of this recording, they have 15 days to go. I never played Space Quest. Was this an Apple II game? Yes. Oh, yes. I played Space Quest, and it was fantastic. It was like King's Quest, but with humor. Yeah, it was one of the Sierra uh, graphic adventures. Oh, interesting. Okay. They had a they had a whole bunch of quest series of what it was Space Quest, King's Quest, um, that one I've heard of, Police Quest, and, and they were all franchise multi multi title franchises and Leisure Suit Larry. I think they probably all ran the same engine. Yep, Leisure Quest, <laughs> and I'm sure there are some recreations. We talked about the Adventurer Guild builders or something. Uh, AGD AGD Interactive. Remember that, Mike? Oh yeah, that's right. The company that was. Uh, Basically putting new front ends on these old games. Right. They're allowed to recreate any Sierra game as long as they don't charge for it, basically. Yeah, they, they actually went out and got the rights to do that. That's so cool. Uh, let's see. I'm on, I'm on their site now. And actually, no, I don't see a Space Quest. I see King's Quest 1, 2, 3, Quest for Glory. Uh, what, what, what? What is this? Al Emo and Magic Initiation? Anyway. I haven't heard of those. Yeah, me neither. But I'm sure there are probably are Space Quest out there. It's just not by AGD. Am I just missing out, or are there no Kickstarters for Apple II projects? There are none. And we'll be talking about that at Kansas Fest. One of my sessions is to run a workshop in which we will end the session with an Apple II Kickstarter. Okay. I, that is great, because I think it's there's a dying need. And, and frankly, for an Apple II project, I don't think half a million dollars will be required. Probably not. No, and that's another thing that I talked to some Apple II developers about when I was researching my crowdfunding article for JuiceGS. I asked who would benefit from this. I asked Vince Briel, would you use Kickstarter? And there are some interests there, so we we never know what might happen. Uh, one more Kickstarter I want to bring up, Battle Chess. This was one of my favorite games growing up. I loved playing the interplay version of Battle Chess on my Apple II GS. Even though I knew the rules for chess and how they would dictate the winner, I still enjoyed seeing the different combinations of two sprites on the chessboard fighting it out and how they could win or lose because some of them were quite funny the company called subdued software has the rights to recreate battle chess 
and they are asking for $100,000. They said the game is pretty much done. They just need to add modem support. Not modem support. Wow, that's... What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely want to hear that. Sorry. Online play. Internet play. 300 baht. Right. Yeah. $100,000 for 300 baht. Love that sound. Oh. Unfortunately, this project currently has four days to go, and of the 100,000, they've only gotten 15. For battle chess? Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. They need another $85,000 in four days. 85% Ooh. of what they want. That is not going to happen. Well, I don't think And it's too happen. bad because I think that's one of the cooler ones. Yeah, they released some gameplay footage that shows the characters fighting, and it looks pretty good. But I bet I can tell you why this project isn't going to happen. And that's because unlike all the other games we've looked at, Space Quest, Leisure Suit Larry, uh, Wasteland, etc., which are coming out for PC, Mac, Xbox, iOS, Android, blah, blah, blah. Battle Chess is for PC only. Aha. And that, compared to the others, is a significantly limited audience. And if you want to get people's money, you need to ask as many people as possible for that money. Now, they implied that they had some stretch goals on Kickstarter, where if they got more than $100,000, then they would look at adding other platforms. But... They need to have those platforms built in in the first place. I mean, ask for $150,000 and say if they win, they'll get PC and Mac versions. You know, build it in to begin with. I think right. their platform goals were too modest, and as a result, they kind of cut themselves off at the knees. Is that the same? Yeah, and especially appropriate in this con- in this context. <laughs> right. So that's a shame because I want to give them my money – but I don't have a PC, so I would be buying a game that I can't play. Yeah, and I, I didn't give them money for exactly that reason. Yeah. I suppose this pretty much dooms any Apple II Kickstarter then. Well, no, I mean, you just say we're coming out with this for the Apple II, and if there's enough interest, we'll release it for Facebook as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I mean, look at Oregon Trail. Not Oregon, but Oregon Trail. Yes, that is, yes. That, that is a Kickstarter project that was successfully funded. It looks like an Apple II game. And... I bet they could have done an Apple II version because the graphics wouldn't require much modification. Right. Well, there is an Apple II game that did make that leap, though. Wings of Fury, originally for the Apple II, recently came out for iOS as Wings of Valor. Now, I think I actually have the original Apple II game. I have no memory of playing it, though. Do either of you have associations with this game? No. I don't, although I I like that the graphics for the iOS version, um, are very retro feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're not eight bit, but they definitely captured the essence of the original Amiga, Commodore 64, et cetera, versions. Right. Uh, since none of us know what this game is like, I'll briefly quote touch arcades review, which describes it as a side scrolling carrier based aerial shooter set in the Pacific during world war two. Now it's too bad that unlike Xbox, iOS games don't have demos. There are some ad based, free versions of games you can play like words with friends or angry birds but if you just want to get a sample for a game you're usually relegated to watching gameplay videos on youtube i've never understood this about the app store um why they don't support 30-day demos or one-day demos even i I never understood i'm not sure well even though we don't understand it i'm not sure that they necessarily need to they've sold what a billion apps now yeah don't get me started on the app store and the walled garden Hmm, sounds like something you should be on a panel about. Was. That's true. I I don't know, I think when you're charging a dollar or two dollars for a game, it's easier to justify not 
putting demos out there than if you're charging $60 for a game. Okay, I'll, bu- I'll buy that. But even Xbox games can cost as little as a dollar, and they still get demos. Yeah, but they've already got the infrastructure built in to support demos, and I don't, I don't know that the App Store does. Well, right, that, instru- that infrastructure is there because they built it in from the ground up. You know, Apple wasn't thinking of doing that, and so I still blame them. <laughs> okay. I, I blame Apple um, because this was suggested very early on. I, I got the iPhone back when iOS was at 1.0 or maybe 1.1, and uh, one of the most requested features was either refunds available for apps that you didn't like. I, I take it back. This was when the App Store first came. Refunds or demos. And as far as I know, they still offer neither of those several years later. Well, that's Apple. They're not going to listen to us. They're going to tell us what we want. I don't I don't buy too much in the App Store, but don't some of these developers offer free versions or light versions that have ads? And then if you want the full version, you buy, you pay, pay two or three bucks. Isn't that the same thing? That is a good point. There are in-store purchases um, where you can implement this kind of functionality on your own, but it takes... Uh, you know, extra work by the by the developer. Um, Apple doesn't do anything to help. Although I have read a study that was publicized by Scientific American that apps that run ads use a lot more of your battery than the paid versions. Hmm. Interesting. Well, enough about games. Let's move on to the movies because all we ever have time for around here is leisure activities. We are men of leisure. Indeed. There have been some developments in the various movies that are coming out based on the life of Steve Jobs. Ah, yes. I'm very interested in this. Why is that? Well, first of all, um, they've hired Waz as an advisor for this biopic they're making of Steve Jobs, which it's going to be very interesting uh, to hear his take on on all of these things. I was especially interested, though, in in a quote by the screenwriter, which encourages me a little bit. Now, this is the same screenwriter who, who did the uh, the Facebook movie. And he says... Yes, Aaron Sorkin. Of The West Wing. Oh, really? Interesting. Yep. It can't be a straight-ahead biography because it's very difficult to shake the cradle-to-grave structure of a biography. So I'm, I'm happy to know that it's not going to be a cradle-to-grave movie. Yeah, I don't need to see Steve Jobs being born. No, I do need to see lots of Apple IIs on the screen, though. That's true. Now, this is the film that's being based on the biography that came out last year by Isaacson, Walter Isaacson. Yes, and it's being bankrolled by Sony. This is not the indie film. Right. The quote-unquote indie film is the one we talked about last month, which is starring Ashton Kutcher and Josh Gabb, I think. Yep. Not Josh Groban. Who? Right. And really, Ashton Kutcher? No way. You look at those side-by-side comparisons with Steve Jobs, and, and you can almost see why they made that decision. I've looked, and it didn't work for me. Who would play you in your biopic, Martin? <laughs> what a Ving Rhames. <laughs> Harrison Ford. I, I see you more as a Kevin Spacey character. Uh, actually, you're right, and he's an awesome actor, so I would accept that. Yeah. And, Mike, you're maybe Robert De Niro. No, I was totally. thinking, um, God, what's his name? The, the, big, the big guy from uh, Green Mile. Michael Clark Duncan? Yes. He'll, he'll play me. <laughs> there is an uncanny resemblance there. And he's a vegan. Ooh, vegan power. <laughs> and who would play me? Um, Lucy Liu. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that, actually, that guy that was in um, that vegan power movie, he could play you. 
There's a vegan power movie? Yeah, the one about video games and he slashes people and everybody turns into coins. Why am I blanking on this? Oh, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. That's not a vegan power movie. Sure it is. It's got a whole segment about vegan power. Oh, that's right, because the guy who played Superman is a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> because by Monday, you'll be dust. That's right, so you want me played by Michael Sarah? Exactly. Okay, as long as I don't have to be a vegan. He'd have to grow your beard. Do you currently have a beard? I, I do. I've had a beard for six years now. Yeah. I don't know what he'll look like with a beard, but I think he might look like you. Or maybe if I shaved, I'd look like him. Actually, you're an amateur dramatist. You should just play yourself. <laughs> that, it, I, I don't think I could get into character. <laughs> anyway, so the indie film, the one with Ashton Kutcher, or Kutcher, if you're in the French. Ashton Kutcher? Yes, exactly. That is going to be filmed at 2066 Chris Drive in Los Altos, California. That being the garage where Apple was founded. And I bet they'll auction the garage afterward on eBay. I don't know. I think there are people happily living there, and they're probably happy to hold on to that little treasure trove now that Steve Jobs is something of a saint. True. We got some hardware hacks that have occurred in the past month, both of them found on Instructables.com, which sounds like something I used to pack in my lunch to go to school with. I don't know. You guys ever eat Instructables? All the time, yeah. I thought they were disgusting. If you read the <laughs> label on the craft packaging, it doesn't say cheese. It says cheese food. Cheese product, yes. Yeah, like what the heck is that? Pasteurized processed cheese food product. Yeah, so you know, it's, you know it's frightening when it doesn't need to be refrigerated. And <laughs> yeah. it's a, supposedly a dairy product. Although it's great for backpacking food. All right, hardware hacks. We have an iPod charger that the base of the charger that you actually place the iPod in looks like the front of a disc 2 floppy drive. That's because it is the front of a disc 2 floppy drive. Can I just register a complaint here? I really do not approve of hardware hacks that involve destroying pieces of Apple II hardware. Well, if the hardware in question is already destroyed or you don't know how to repair it, then at least you're repurposing it for something. Maybe I would buy that, but I, I'm not sure that's the case here. It was a discarded Apple II disk drive. Well, who discarded it and why, why didn't they just use it? But really what I want people to be doing with Apple II disk drives is like, you know, developing new cables to connect them to new computers or developing an adapter so that you can break the cable and have a Wi-Fi disk drive. Use the hardware for what it is and do something cool with it. So you're against that guy that put a G4 Mac into an Apple IIc? I am. I, I'm only against that if the Apple IIc doesn't still work. But once he puts the Mac Mini in the IIc, he can run Sweet 16. <sighs> it's just not the same. <laughs> You can appear in the crappy Steve Jobs movie for minimum wage. <laughs> what? You can? There's an article on Gizmodo. Um, they're looking for extras. Uh, well, you know, all the times I've been an extra, I either got paid minimum wage or nothing. Filming in a movie in Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, based on Steve Jobs. Works the week of June 4th through the 8th. Filming takes place in the 70s. Looking for the 70s look, longish hair, sideburns, etc. Also looking for people who have 1965 to 1973 era cars. There is pay when working and meals included. Please forward your photo contact number. And if you have the 65 to 73 cars, forward them as well. So, What if you have a 78 era computer? I want to be an extra with my computer. You want your computer to be an extra? Yeah. No, if you have a theatrical resume, you need to list everything that makes you unique. And so under special skills and abilities, you really need to list, like, 
retro computing, Apple II computers, whatever, because you never know what a director is going to be looking for, and you might have that exact skill. I got invited to be an extra in a Sandra Bullock film because my resume said I know how to ride a bicycle. Cool. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. They were looking for bicyclists for this one scene that they were shooting in Gloucester, Mass. Well, you're going to have to tell us what movie we can see you in, Ken. Disc the movie. Yes. There was a write-up on the website for Disc the Movie about its premiere at Kansas Fest 2004. The Disc website has gone down. I just recently got an archive of the website from the film's director, and I put that page about Kansas Fest up on kansasfest.org. Nice. So if anybody wants to read the you know two or three paragraphs I read, I wrote about it eight years ago. I also couldn't find a trailer for that film on YouTube. I'm going to see if there's a trailer on the DVD I own and see if I can put it on YouTube. Uh, but I also worked as an extra on Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. You can actually see me in that film. I was at Fenway in a section reserved for extras from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then I also worked on The Game Plan starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but you can't see me in that film. You got cut. I did. I didn't make the cut. And I also auditioned for the fourth Indiana Jones movie. But also got cut. Well, when I say auditioned, I mean I stood in line with a thousand other people and said, yes, I want to be an extra in this film. <laughs> But you need to, you know, if you, you can't have a full-time job and be a film extra, and I have a full-time job. And when they say, okay, you need to be here Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, for two weeks, and I say, wow. well, well, I can give you a day or two, and they say, well, that's great. They only need 100 people. They have 1,000 people. They're going to take the 100 that are available every day for continuity's sake. Oh, well, I tried. The nice thing about Instructables.com, you know, popping the stack here and going back in the conversation, is that they actually show you how to do these things, and there are step-by-step -step instructions. This iPod charger requires plexiglass, black spray paint, utility knife, straight edge, super glue, iPod cable, 100-ohm resistor, and soldering iron and solder. And that's it. And it shows you how to do everything with those things to get what you want. They didn't mention that you also need a broken Apple II drive. True. Actually, you're right. This is, I, I don't know what sort of vetting process this website goes through. Probably not much. Okay. If it's anything like about.com, then you're right. There's nothing. It's ridiculous. About.com has an article like how to read an Apple II disc on your PC. And the steps were like, one, connect a five and a quarter inch disc to your PC. Two, <laughs> insert disc. <laughs> yep. If only that were going to work. I emailed them so many times trying to get that taken down. I'm like, oh, you have to talk to our other department about that. They just and don't care. No, no. They're just a content farm as long as they get the links. Also on Instructables uh, was an Apple floppy amp where someone took one of the uh, three and a half inch external floppy drives and – oh, I'm sorry. That's a five and a quarter inch floppy drive and stuck a Sony Impact 5066T amp into it. Well, I dare you to do it and bring it to KFest. No, I won't be doing that. It'll have bits of paper and hair and other weird stuff sticking out of it. By the time I get done with it, I'm horrible with hardware projects. <laughs> I thought you were like Juice Yes's resident hardware guy. No, I I know about hardware. That doesn't mean that I get my hands dirty. Oh, you 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 clean your hardware, but you don't get your hands dirty. I don't even clean my hardware. Awesome. <laughs> you know that CFFA three thousand review I wrote? I never even plugged it into my machine. How do you like that? It kind of reminds me of when Ryan Suinaga wrote his coverage of Kansas Fest before Kansas Fest. <laughs> well, I was just kidding, but... <laughs> no, Ryan did that. He looked at the schedule. Yeah, no. the, the schedule came out a week early, so he looked at it and he said, oh, I bet that session's going to be great. I bet that session's going to suck. <laughs> Way to go, Ryan. That is so cynical. Yeah, Tony said, something's wrong with the event when you know exactly what it's going to be and there are no surprises. <laughs> right. 
<clears throat> Definitely. Um, but fortunately, we have a crack reporter covering this year's KFS, and I know he's not going to do that. Well, you know, speaking of shiny hardware, <laughs> I, um, and and how I was complaining that people should not be taking used Apple II drives and and repurposing them. What I think they should be doing is going to sign by Waz and getting brand new Apple II five and a quarter inch drives and modifying those because the photo on this website it, it's obviously a never been used five and a quarter drive and I'm wondering if if Waz has like a stack of these things in his garage. Well, if you want to buy some hardware that actually came from Waz, one place you should not do it is from the eBay user Wozniak. Yes, that is true. Uh, he spells his name with a C instead of a K. He's not actually trying to impersonate Waz, and he has a very plain disclaimer on his account, not the Waz, not trying to be the Waz. There is a story about him on Cult of Mac pointed out to me by a colleague, Andrew Smith, known on Twitter as Nightskyer. And it's an interesting interview with this 31-year-old up in Canada who has purchased, refurbished, and sold a variety of Macs, Apple IIs, and Lisas. Apparently, there was one time when he was conducting such a expensive transaction with a buyer that the proprietor of the property on which the transaction was being conducted suspected him of conducting a drug deal and called the police. And so when they actually left the premises, they were there were police waiting for them. I remember reading about that, and, and they were shocked to to find the police there but uh after you know after telling the police what were going on they were like oh what's that computer wow how does it work hey that's neat and the police left all happy yep they were all smiles is this wozniak the same one that got himself in trouble over on apple fritter for that apple II auction that wasn't at all what it seemed or was that a different i remember talking about that on this show i don't remember if it's the same guy i'm pretty sure it's not okay uh this guy sounds like he's on the up and up yeah, he was selling a Twiggy Lisa, if I recall correctly. A Twiggy Mac. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was back on April 11th. The Cult of Mac headline was Apple co-founder Steve Waz selling an extremely rare 128K Mac prototype for $100,000. You know, this is not Waz. This is a guy on eBay named Wozniak. Right. Well, his handle is Wozniak. Yeah, and Cult of Mac eventually updated the story. Just at the, They didn't change the headline. Just at the very bottom of the story, they wrote, No Waz here, folks. Move along. Why didn't they change the headline? SEO. I thought the the standard practice in journalism was to make your retraction as bold as the error. That would be not, that's a nice standard. That's a nice uh, ideal, isn't it? Probably never happens. Yeah, I agree. Cult of Mac should have updated their headline, not the link. And sometimes the link has the headline in it. You know, the slug. And if you change the slug, that can break, and then you have to have a three hundred one redirect. That's a whole pain. Okay, in the butt. all right, I'll buy it. <laughs> All right, so that's not Steve Waz's hardware, but Steve Jobs' patents can be seen at the Smithsonian. They have an exhibit all about the patents and trademarks of Steve Jobs, art and technology that changed the world. It is in the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C., running May 11th to July 8th. And I wish it had been two months earlier because I was just down in D.C. for the Art of Video Games exhibit, and I would have loved to have seen the Steve Jobs exhibit as well. And to actually be to be accurate about it, it's the it's the patents and trademarks of companies that steve jobs headed his name isn't actually on for instance any of the trademarks not one nope huh wow i didn't realize that i'm not sure if the steve jobs exhibit is going on tour i don't see it blatantly saying so on their homepage, which is si.edu slash exhibitions with a capital e slash steve jobs all one word all lowercase but two months is awfully short that is really short for an exhibition, especially one so 
timely and trending yeah well it's the smithsonian i'm sure they know what they're doing yeah and i'm sure they got a million other exhibitions they're working on true do either of you listen to leo laporte's twit network any of the podcasts on that no rarely Okay. Uh, well, a while back, he moved his studios into a new location, and to raise funds for that, he sold these bricks and this wall in the new studio, and it looks like the Computer History Museum uh, has taken a, a page from, from his playbook. Um, you can now buy a plaque on their community wall. Uh, these plaques are not cheap. They start at $1,000, and they go up to $5,000. But if you want your name or a quote or something like that uh, memorialized in the Computer History Museum, you can do that now. Yeah, each plaque is bigger and allows more lines of text. The most expensive one at $5,000 gets you 108 characters. So that's $5,000 for something shorter than a tweet. And it's 8 by 8, so it's not very big. It's a little more permanent than a tweet. I don't know. Tweets are archived by the Library of Congress. But why? <laughs> Because everything I tweet is golden. <laughs> what do you think, Ken? Should we buy an open Apple plaque at the, the Computer History Museum? I think we should run a Kickstarter for it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Get other people, other people to play, pay for your plaque. That's right. They won't have any input on what we put on the plaque. but No, one of the tiers can be that you get to choose one character. <laughs> so just be random ASCII characters? No, you know, it'd be like Scrabble. We'll arrange it. We'll try to have something insightful to say. That could be fun. So 100 years from now, somebody can read the plaque and say, Mom, what does Quidgibo mean? You know, that's another thing, Martin, when you're having your pizza fest, go to the Computer History Museum. Oh, absolutely. Have you been there? I have not, but I intend to. I keep intending to go. It's, it seems like the closer things are to my house, the less likely I am to actually go to them. For instance, I live next to the beach, and I hardly ever go. I can appreciate that. I live in Boston, and you know, I've seen a lot of things, but usually only when tourists come to town and need to be shown around. Right. Whereas what I, I was in Denver for two months last summer, and I saw almost everything in the area, including things that my family in the area haven't seen in the 20 years they've lived there. Because I only had two months. If I didn't see it in the two months, I knew I would never see it. Whereas they can say, oh, we have the rest of our lives. We have a letter from an Open Apple listener, Michael Mulhern, asking if we have had any news about the VGA card that was demoed at Kansas Fest 2009. Was that your year? Your first year, Martin? Um, I remember that VGA card. I was very impressed at the time. I think it was 2009, and it was a couple of young Germans who had developed a card that let you connect a VGA display to the Apple II. And if I recall, it may have done a couple of other things. They showed Pac-Man running on it. And it was supposed to be eventually made available through Ultimate Apple II, which is the online store of Anthony J. Martino who is an Apple II user and vendor and Kansas Fest attendee. And Michael emailed us to ask if we've heard any updates, and we haven't, which prompted us to investigate a bit more because we want to get to because we want to get some updates. It's a it's a product with a lot of potential and we'd like to see it become real as opposed to just vaporware as it is now. So I was going to email Anthony, but first I went to ultimateapple2.com to see what the status is because the VGA card is featured right there on the homepage. There are a couple of updates there. One says the final release date of this series of VGA cards is currently unknown. As of August 16th, 2011, we have entered into yet another beta, the fifth beta, and are still working on getting this available this year. This beta is showing promise and is currently being tested in Germany. Thanks for your continued support. And then there's a line break and another update saying that they are temporarily closing the store, which we've reported on before. Both he and Henry Corbis of ReactiveMicro.com have gone dark 
while they pursue other projects. Hopefully this is just a temporary hiatus. But Anthony elaborates to say, please refrain from emailing us regarding any VGA projects or anything else we carry or partner company reactivemicro.com carries. Thank you. That's a pretty strong statement. Right. I guess they got tired of inquiries and just figured when we have something to show, we'll put it up here. No need to keep hounding us. Understandable. Still disappointing also. I hope this hiatus, it's already gone on longer than I expected. It should end soon, I hope. And last but not least on this month's news roundup, we have an item from Mr. Martin. Uh, Well, I don't know if it's last. Um, It certainly is least in one respect. Um, (laughs) Wow. So... For my my first Kansas Fest presentation, I introduced a wild technology called a weakness point. This is a presentation technology where I basically use the system monitor to type in text on the screen, and it comes out of the Apple II, and it displays on a monitor, and it's so weak. Wild. Um, no, actually, it was very, very cool. I was so impressed with that. It was more impressive than what you actually presented. Possibly, very possibly so. I'm kidding, sir. I'm kidding. Right. No, I know it was either a Supermon or a Naked OS, right? No, wait, wait, wait. This was back. This was your first K-Fest. This was back when we were in the uh, the party barn. Right. So this was Supermon. Okay. So I presented uh, Supermon with Weakness Point, um, but I'm cur- definitely not the only person thinking about using an Apple II for presentation. Uh, there's this guy, uh, Vince Weaver, who has developed um, a program Basically, to to translate your slides, and I'm a little unclear on what format your slides should be in, but it, I think maybe it takes PowerPoint slides and turns them into a basic program uh, to show your presentation on an Apple IIe. And the, the results are actually pretty neat. It translates graphical images into uh, 8-bit Apple II colors, so basically you've got six colors to choose from. It takes your text and translates it just into plain text screens. And so it looks like an easy way for for a non-programmer to show a presentation on an Apple II, which I'm all for. I, too, found it unclear what sort of source material this set of Python scripts that he created takes. He showed a PDF of his original slides, and it looks like he exported that from PowerPoint. As show, He provided screenshots of the Apple II version. So I'm guessing, as you said, it's PowerPoint to basic. But I haven't actually run the program. I watched the silent YouTube video demonstration that he provided, and even that I found a little unclear. Yeah, I, I, I'm still pretty unclear on it. I, if I spent 10 minutes, I could read the code and tell you, but it's probably not worth it. Why do you say that? Uh, I will put in the 10 minutes. You guys go off and talk. Uh, so this, this presentation tool uh, does not take a PDF or a PowerPoint file. Um, rather, you create a series of files, one for each slide, and they have to be in a particular format. You know, so for instance, images have to be, you know, just the right size for the Apple II screen. Graphs have to be in a particular uh, little language, and of course, text is just text. And then it, it reads all of those files uh, one by one and creates uh, basic code to implement them. So it's not quite as nice as we were hoping in just taking your PowerPoint presentation and making it into an Apple II presentation. But it still um, still definitely allows uh, a non-programmer with a fairly minimal amount of effort to create an Apple II presentation. And how do you create those source files? Well, the images looks like you could do them in a, in a like Photoshop or clone, and the text files you just do with a text editor. 
So they're just JPEGs? So this thing takes PCX image files that are 140 by 160 pixels, and they have to be created with a particular palette in the GIMP, which is uh, image editing software for Linux. Bring out the GIMP. What's it worth to you? Hold on to your wallet as we look at the latest Apple pickings. Well, I had a really hard time finding any vintage items for this month's eBay section. Any idea why that is, Mike? You must not have tried very hard. Well, it's it's all still there. eBay's just reorganized their category listings. So before, when you when you went into the computer section and they had the vintage hardware, you could choose the brand of computer that you wanted to search on, whether it was Apple or Atari or Commodore. And now it's all been sort of semi-consolidated, uh, at least from the main page. You just click the um, vintage computer hardware. And then when the list of items comes up over on the left there, you can choose which brand. You just check it off and it's, it'll search on whatever you're looking for. So would you say this is a better arrangement or just different? I think it's just different. Um, it certainly caused some consternation on some of the um, uh, vintage hardware forums, but it's not really a big deal, I don't think. Hmm. We'll get used to it. So we saw that the Smithsonian is hosting patents supposedly belonging to Steve Jobs, but now eBay is hosting an Apple II that supposedly belongs to Steve Jobs. I'm not sure I believe it. Yeah, um, that's... I, I don't know that I don't believe it. He's just not offering any evidence that would make me believe him. So, so what what is he offering? What exactly is this item? This is Apple IIe serial number 1501. And he's got a picture of the innards, specifically the power supply, which has um, what looks like, sort of like Steve Jobs's. Uh, signature um, engraved into the power supply with a Dremel. Um, and there's a comment that he put in, in the description that says he'll offer photo- photographic proof uh, that this did belong to Steve Jobs, but it's not in the auction. And for what he's asking, $45,000, um, I would want more proof than a name put on a, a power supply with a Dremel. Yeah, me too. For me, this raises two questions. One, what sort of photographic evidence could be offered to support his claim? And second of all, why isn't it posted with the auction? Right. And, and there are only three photographs, and they're not very good photographs. I mean, you can't see very much of the motherboard. I, so this Apple IIe, he's asking $45,000 uh, for buy it now. Um, there have been four offers submitted. He's um, rejected them all, I would guess, or hasn't responded. The pictures that he offers are not very large they're low light. There's not a lot of detail that you can actually see other than the than the serial number tag. That one's pretty clear. There's no evidence here to make me believe that this is what he says it is. I was also kind of surprised to learn that it comes with the original three and a half inch floppy disks. <laughs> it's kind of unusual for a 2E. Not, not impossible, but unusual. I find myself wishing, though, that this really is Jobs's computer, just because I find myself wishing that he that he was fond of the Apple II. Yeah, that that was the other thing that occurred to me. I um I, I would think at that point that he would have been well into the Mac development and didn't really care about the Apple II line anymore. Right. And would he really have etched his signature in with a Dremel? Was he that afraid of somebody nicking it? The whole thing just seems unjobsian somehow. You know, it's kind of like splashing paint on the bottom of your. Hot Wheels to make sure nobody takes them. Right. 
I mean, you know, maybe if it was an Apple II Plus, maybe the... I don't know. Even then. Or maybe if it was like a Mark Twain? No. <laughs> no, he wouldn't have anything to do with that. No, definitely not. Where was it I read about some Mac engineer uh, trying to slip in an expansion slot and getting killed by Jobs? <laughs> getting killed? The slot, no. not the engineer. <laughs> not the engineer. Oh, I, I was going to say, I want to see that part of the movie. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The scene where Steve Jobs is in the field with a body bag. Hands are dirty. Can't get clean. Get, can't get clean. Anyway, I haven't heard that story. Okay. Skip it. What? Okay. This isn't a Mac podcast, so. It could right. be. Well, I just, I I'd heard that the, uh, yeah, I heard a similar story and that they renamed the port. Oh, I remember where it was. It's in that it's in that Waz calls for open Apple thing. Oh, the one, yeah, that we mentioned at the top of the show. It yeah, didn't. They, they call it like the test port or something like that. Exactly. Or the Leo Laporte. <laughs> there you go. But it was their way to get a um, uh, an expansion slot into the Mac, which Apple later realized was a good idea when they added USB. So I'm going to keep this item on my watch list, but I would be surprised if it sold. I would be very surprised if it sold. I, I would think that the offers that he's getting are a lot less than $45,000. <laughs> exactly. Anybody else find anything interesting on eBay this month? Well, I, I I did a little kind of background research because, you know, as I mentioned about five years ago, I bought an Apple II Plus. You mentioned that five years ago? I don't remember. <laughs> we weren't doing the show back then, Martin. And I didn't know you either. I'm just keeping my mouth shut. I'm trying to stay on Ken's good side, and it's work. I don't have a good side. It's really a lot of work being friends with Ken, believe me. Many are called, few are chosen. <laughs> and in the worst case scenario, there can be only one. So speaking of time travel, I went back to eBay to see how much um, Apple II Pluses are going for. I bought one about five years ago for 100 bucks with a pretty nice case. Oh, yeah, I remember you mentioned no that. Yeah. So I was like, how much would that Apple II Plus run me now if I wanted to get another one, which, of course, I want to get another one, but I will not be allowed to get another one because where would I put it? Anyway, uh, and my deduction is that things are about three times as expensive now as they were five years ago for Apple II Pluses. Looks like for 300 bucks, I could pretty easily get a working Apple II Plus. There are things available for less, but they're, they're not buy it now. Um, so I don't know if that's what you guys have experienced in terms of price inflation, but that's what I found. You know, we've talked a lot on the show about eBay exploitation, and I'm sure part of it is the collectability of these machines. Part of it is Steve Jobs' passing has brought it more into the limelight. I think another part of it is that retro computing is actually more popular now. If you were to go to the at party demo party that I'll be speaking at next month, you will be surprised to find that I would actually be one of the oldest people there. Really? Yeah, I think as opposed... That is very surprising, wow. But as opposed to the generation of Apple II users that, say, you and Sheppy and Mike belong to, for example, it might be closer to the Eric Rucker, Ian Johnson, Melissa Barron generation. That is very... I find that very encouraging, actually, for the survival of our community. It's the the survival of the hobby, yes, but the survival of the community. How many of these people are actually engaging in their retrocomputing hobbies in a community context? If they're going to the demo party, then that's part of your answer right there. But is the demo party and the Apple II community separate? Separate, but 
you know, I suspect the Apple II community might be able to draw some people from the demo community. I would hope. And, and vice versa, actually. I, I'd, I'd be into making a demo. Certainly Crew. I think he attended Block Party and created the Waterline demo for the ColecoVision, which won several awards. And shortly thereafter, he attended the very first At Party and his very first K-Fest. So he made a point to insert himself into a wide variety of communities simultaneously. So there wasn't one leading to the other. I know when I went to At Party, I tried to recruit folks both to Kansas Fest and to Juice GS. I don't think I had any successes in either. And since those are both commercial ventures and the community itself isn't, I'm not sure that's a fair estimate of the ability for a person to make that transition. But still, it's, it is interesting to see different aspects of the community and different generations within the community growing at different rates. It is interesting. And, and you know, Crew became a prolific contributor to the Apple II community. So uh, it's, it's not at all unrealistic, I think, for those two communities to be synergistic and to help grow each other. I agree. I do have another eBay thing to mention if if now is a good time. Martin, you can bring up anything you want anytime you want. We'll find a place for it. Okay. Um, so as I was just browsing around the Apple II Plus area, which I'm particularly fond of, I saw an Apple II clone computer working complete system. Buy it now for three twenty five, and it's it's an odd looking machine. Looks kind of like a two plus with a numeric keypad attached to it. Very little information on the eBay listing. But I find myself very curious about Apple II clones, and I know Mike's into this to some extent, too. Um, a guy contacted me who, well, actually, I don't even know it's a guy. Somebody from Bulgaria contacted me, interested in the source code for Nakedots so that he or she could port it to a Bulgarian clone of a 6502 computer I've never heard of called the Auric, whose floppy controller and drive are uh, 100% Apple II compatible, and it just made me realize how how the the connections and kind of twining of the Apple II goes out deeper than certainly I know about, and and I, I'm not sure there's a comprehensive map of these clones anywhere that I've seen. You mean like a family tree or something? Yeah, a family tree. Uh, the Apple II spawned a lot of clones. Uh, I played with several when I was a kid, and you never hear about them now. The Wikipedia page while it may be complete, is completely inadequate. Um, it's just a list of Apple II clones, 99% of which don't lead to any page. So I'm very curious what the Boss 1 is, but there's no article. Huh. I've never even heard of that. Me neither. Didn't there used to be a website that had a whole bunch of different Apple II clones that went away a while ago? The website went away? Yeah. Are you referring to a specific site? It's uh, a2clones.com. There's it's still there's fragments of it that still exist on archive.org. Um, the original page appears to be down though, and it, it looks like at one point they had 211 different Apple II clones listed there and all their technical information. But it looks like most of that's gone now. It's kind of a shame. I wonder why. Don't know. Is there any contact info listed in the archive version? Um, well, most of these pages don't load or they don't load completely, which is typical. Copyright 2008 by the community. <laughs> what, like Creative Commons? Well, I don't know. There's no link on that either. Or maybe they mean the TV show. Anyway, okay, that's it for my item. Well, the things I found on eBay this month weren't all that impressive, just sort of 
Oh, that's interesting. One is a ballpoint pen. I tell you, kids, it doesn't get any more exciting than this. This is an early Apple computer ballpoint pen with a rainbow logo. It's got the name Apple Computer in the standard Apple font with the traditional rainbow logo. You know, it has the clip if you want to put it in your pocket or even better in your pocket protector. The downside of the pen, the buy it now price of $400. Ah, yeah, this is another Wozniak special. Wozniak with a C. True, true that. I think that is way overpriced for a pen. Well, it does come with the nice case, but it does not it does not include the $12 shipping handling in the USA or Canada, $24 elsewhere. Well, if you want a a cheaper and probably better quality Apple pen, uh there is a an Apple lo- Apple Rainbow logo pen by Cross currently also on eBay. Uh, there are two bids, and this is going to, this will have ended, I guess, long before we post this. But as an example, if there are two bids. There's one day and one hour left on this cross pen auction, and it's currently up to a whopping $9.49. Um, there was another one of these pens that sold last week with a buy it now of $129. Much more reasonable than $400. Yeah, and this pen, except for the little button at the top with the Rainbow Apple logo, looks like just a standard pen, so it's less branded than the other one, but you know, for nine forty nine I think a lot more affordable. That's true, and, and Cross is a well known pen maker. Yeah, the only other thing I found on eBay this month, you know, pens are great if you want to do some writing, but if you want to write some programs, you need to have some tutorial to help you get through it. And the Roz Alt book, Basic Programming for Kids, has some instructions for Apple, Atari, Commodore, Radio Shack, TI, Sinclair and more. This is a former library book that covers basic programming for all those machines. I don't know how well it does each one. I remember as a kid not understanding that there were flavors of basic and trying to punch into my Apple II a basic program that was obviously for another machine. It just wasn't obvious to me, and I didn't understand why it didn't work. Well, this book might have helped. Either it would have helped or it would have confused. However, (laughs) it's interesting that it's on eBay for a buy-it-now price of $11, which actually isn't all that bad. But, you know, when I want a book, the place I go first isn't usually eBay, it's Amazon. And Amazon has this book listed. There are 11 copies starting at one cent. Wow. Yeah, they go anywhere up to $45, but most of them are under $5. So there are a lot more choices. Plus outrageous shipping. What, on the eBay listing? No, Amazon. Oh, yeah, I mean, you'll you'll pay your standard Amazon shipping price and since these are from third parties your amazon your amazon prime discount won't count but even with the shipping i think it's still going to come out to cheaper than the 11 dollars on ebay true which has free shipping and that's pretty much it for ebay anything from you mike besides the cross pen um i think that was it yeah well if that's all we found on ebay then that brings us to the end of this month of open apple martin we're so glad that you could join us well, I am very pleased that you asked me to be here, and I've had a great time. Yeah, this actually isn't the first time we've asked you to be on the show, but it is the first time that you've been available. <laughs> I am also glad that I was available. Thank you very, very much for having me. He just wanted to be romanced a little bit. That's right. You know, play hard <laughs> to get. Yeah. Make us be the pursuers for once. For once. Yes. Well, you will be writing for JuiceGS. People can find your work there. There will be a link to your homepage in the show notes. And you'll be at Kansas Fest, I presume? I will be presenting at Kansas Fest. Presenting? Remind me what you're presenting? 
I will actually be showing uh, short and uh, several improvements to Supermon and whatever else I come up with between now and then. Excellent. So it'll be like a shorts festival. Exactly. Yay. So look for me there. Oh, I think you'll be hard to miss. Probably so. Any other adventures? You are quite the cyclist. Do you have any treks planned? I wish. Last year I went all the way across Nevada with, with my Apple II emulator. I couldn't quite stuff the Apple II in my bike panniers. But uh, I, I don't have the vacation time this year to continue that trek uh, on into Utah. But my eventual goal is to, in segments, bike all the way across the country and roll into Kansas Fest. Well, if you end up in Massachusetts, you always have a place to stay. Excellent. And I can highly recommend bicycling to Kansas Fest. I did it one year, and actually, while I was doing it, I was varying degrees of miserable, but looking back, I'm glad I did it. Those varying degrees of miserable seem to fade a lot in memory. Don't they, though? Now I can tell people that I bicycled to Kansas Fest, and the people I tend to tell that to are outsiders. I will just say, yeah, I bicycled the Katy Trail. I bicycled across Missouri, and they're just like, wow, that's amazing. And especially the people from Missouri, it's an innocent connection. They're like, oh my God, the Katy Trail. Yeah, I know it. I didn't think anybody else did. And when you tell them you did it in the summertime, their jaws probably drop. Yeah, it's the middle of the Midwest in the middle of the summer. That was not smart. Bring <laughs> fluids and drink them. <laughs> All right. I think I've run out of things to talk about. Wonderful. Well, I will look forward to your many adventures in person and online, Martin. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I have no idea what they're going to be, but I'm looking forward to them too. And that's half the adventure right there. Yeah, exactly. Can't wait to see you at Kansas Fest, Martin. Ditto. All right. Good night, Martin. Bye. This has been the Open Apple Podcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.open-apple.net. There's a process and a structure to this show, Martin. I'm I'm subverting the dominant paradigm. That's what I do. Don't cross that line. I'll throw you right <laughs> off the show, Martin. You will be defenestrated. <laughs>